Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host. Hello, friends, and welcome to this week's episode of the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and I had a fantastic time hanging out with Dr. Ed Stetzer. Many of you likely know Ed. He is quite influential in the church world, writing, speaking, teaching, and coaching pastors and ministry leaders on six continents about important topics such as theology, missiology, church planting, and church revitalization. Ed holds the Billy Graham Chair of Church, Mission, and Evangelism at Wheaton College and serves as Executive Director of the Billy Graham Center. But with Ed, things are not simply theoretical. He has planted and pastored a number of churches and currently serves as the interim pastor of Moody Church in Chicago. On this week's episode, Ed and I discuss the value of biblical and strategic leadership for pastors. Ed shares how self-leadership changes in our various stages of ministry life and touches on delegation and learning how and when to say no. We also spend some time exploring a very important and timely topic, that is, how to lead a church through revitalization. And if you listen closely, you'll pick up on the Stetzer 1070 rule. So let me know if you catch that. But let's dive in right now as I invite you to join me in my conversation with Dr. Ed Stetzer. Ed, it's such a pleasure to have you back with us here on the Church Leaders Podcast. Thank you for making the time to share with us. Glad to do it. Have I been on the Church Leaders Podcast before? It's got to be years if I was. Yes, yes, you were. You did visit with us. I think it's been a couple years now. Well, you guys are a very big deal, so it's not easy to get onto the Church Leaders Podcast. So I'm honored to be in the presence of this awesomeness. Awesome, brother. I certainly appreciate that. Now, Ed, I want to get this out of the way right up front. Um, I'm not a big conspiracy theorist. Yes, But I do have a theory regarding you, my friend. Tell me. So everyone who is familiar with your life and ministry knows that you can be speaking at a conference in L.A. And less than 24 hours later, you're preaching a sermon in Miami. And somehow in between, you've published six blog posts. You've released (laughs) two podcast episodes, you know, published a new book or two. You've managed to lose to one of your girls in a game of Jenga after you took one of your other daughters to her horseback riding lesson. And and all that is pretty superhuman, right? So here is the conspiracy theory. And I hope hope you can speak to this. And I want everyone to remember that this is breaking news revealed first here by me, Jason Day on the Church Leaders Podcast. And here it is. Okay. My theory is your mom had identical triplet boys, named them Edward, Edgar, and Edmund. And the three of you have lived your adult lives pretending you are all the one and only Dr. Ed Stetzer. Wow. Now tell me, am I right? Did did I get it? It's close. It's close. So let me explain. So it's not, there are duplicates of me. Well, duplicates is the wrong term, but we have this thing that you guys are accustomed to there at, at church leaders as well called the team. So this amazing team. So I can look down the hall and I can see Maureen and, and, and John and Colleen and Daniel Yang and Michael Lee and, and Karen Swanson. And so, so what happens is, is that a, uh, you get on a pattern where you work with others. So when I, you know, when I show up at most places, somebody has done the prep work. Somebody has uh, laid out the path. Somebody has uh, done some of the the background. And so, yeah, so it's, and so one of the things we have to all recognize is that um, it's a bad thing in a sense. And maybe I need to just be clear. I try to say this all the time, but it's a bad thing that you think 
uh, not you're not bad, maybe I'm bad, uh, that you think that I'm doing all those things because I got a great team and that's doing <laughs> all those great work. And I just get to be a part of privilege of serving alongside them, cheering them on and helping to represent them at times. That's awesome. Thank you so much for clearing that up for us. Now, as we're thinking of our listeners, our pastors and ministry leaders, they're tuning in. I know for you, because you do have a lot of things um, on your plate, a lot of opportunities before you, you have an awesome, incredible team that does incredible work, but at the same time, um, you have to decide what you say yes to and what you say no to. So can you help our listeners kind of understand how you go about that and how they might process that as well? Well, and I'd say too, it's also different stages of your life. Um, when I was, uh, when I was younger, when I was planning a church in Buffalo, New York, um, I did everything. And that's part of the decision of planning a church. I mean, I literally folded, uh, programs, worship guides, bulletins, whatever the cool thing to call them this week is. <laughs> I literally did all that. I, I set up the chairs and everything else. And so as you, um, as your organization grows, or maybe as your uh, leadership grows over the years, you get to the place where that changes. So today, um, you know, I, I have, um, you know, good team members. And, and so the, what I try to do is there's really nothing I do that someone else could do because if they could do it, I'd probably have them do it. And I only do what is uniquely connected to me. Now, some of that immediately involves, you mentioned my daughters because you follow me on Twitter and you know that I have three amazing daughters and I'm the only one who can be their father. So I got to tell you, when somebody's like, oh, Ed, only you can speak at this conference. No, 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 no. Only I can be the dad of these three amazing daughters. Only I can be the husband to the amazing Donna Setzer. And so so I know those things. And there are other things that only I'm supposed to do. You know, only I can make some certain decisions. Now, my people can make hard decisions. Our team can make hard decisions. But there are some that only I can make because of the way the organization is or direction we're going. Uh, only I can uh, write certain things that have to be expressed a certain way. Sometimes I wade into um, controversial cultural issues. Well, in that case, only I'm going to be the one who says, all right, let's make sure this is here. But at the same time, if I, I'm consistently asking the, my question, matter of fact, every time I get an email, let me see how many emails are in my inbox right now. So 74 emails in my inbox right now. And so I look at them and I've got an invitation to speak at an anniversary of a church for a friend of mine. Yeah, only I can do that. I think that's awesome. But I've also got an e email uh, asking to give some my advice on something. And I actually know someone on my team who could do a better job. So I'm going to forward that to her. So I think that's the distinction. And it's hard to say no. And, but saying no is I, I'm actually with a colleague um, who uh, faculty here uh, at uh, Wheaton College. Uh, she, she leads in our area of uh, education, discipleship, things of that sort. And she had emailed me, copied a friend, and asked if I could help this church. And I, I responded back, and I said, um, she, I said no. And I didn't say just no, no, period. <laughs> um, I said, I'm so sorry. You know, I laid that out. And uh, it was funny because what she said to me was very, very gracious. What she said was um, that she was really thankful that – and we need to learn from how to say no. Now, the reality is sometimes people get mad at you. I mean, I, I actually have people – get mad at me. Um, but the, 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 that ultimately I think has to be part of the life that you live now again, but it's at different points, right? So, I mean, I don't say no to my boss, you know, I mean, I <laughs> actually, that's not true. There are times when I have said, uh, Mary, I was asked to do something that would take a significant amount of time. And as someone who's also an employee, I have, I have someone that I report to 
uh, what I said to, uh, I was asked by, well, we'll probably should go into details. No one needs to know who I turned down. But let me just say, somewhere <laughs> in the past life, what I said was, listen, um, I could do that, but I'm going to have to stop doing these things because my capacity is full. And that means this is not going to get done. And I think this is more important. If you tell me to do the other thing, the thing you're asking me to do, I will do that. And my boss and colleague said, no, no, that, that makes sense. But I couldn't put anything else on. So that's sort of how I, I did that. Um, a lot of pastors just aren't thinking that strategically enough. So, uh, but I'm not, I'm not looking to spend my life, my ministry, my leadership, uh, putting out fires, um, uh, responding to the needs of the moment. I don't see my, my inbox as my to-do list because if your inbox is your to-do list, that's just literally a list of other people telling you things that you should do. And so I've got to say, if I'm going to pastor this church, if I'm going to lead this, I'm going to say, what are the priority things I need to be spending time on that are going to make a difference in this church long term in this ministry? And that probably means the things that often get neglected, I need to spend time with leaders and the lost, among other things. Mm -hmm. And so I'm meeting, I'm developing leaders, I'm, I'm encouraging leaders along the way, and then I'm trying to, you know, engaging people who don't know Christ to stay fresh in that. And what I would say is, is that too often um, I get 50 other expectations put on me, and those things don't happen, and that's not good leadership. I mean, just, and it's hard to say, but good leadership is just saying no to the right things and saying yes to the right things. I know I'm saying no to the wrong things, but you know, they're saying the right, the right, the right things right. that said no to. Um, and then, but you have to actually sit down. I really like the idea of, you know, a compass, not a clock. You know, uh, what is this, the true north? I'm going towards that. Now, true north is not just, you know, compass is not just having your quiet time because that keeps you focused. Praise God for that. But, but I think it's much more than that. It's, it's much, much more than that. Um, is also is a sense that for all of us, uh, for all of us, it ultimately means that we, we are taking those uh, right decisions and prioritizing those. I mean, gosh, think back of the quadrants, right? Like, um, you know, what's urgent mm -hmm. and not important? Man, I get a lot of that. You know, what's right. urgent but important? Well, we all get some of that, you know, I mean, so, so I just got called into a meeting, we interviewed somebody, that's it, that's, and it was short term, and then we needed it, it's urgent and important. And, but and what's what's not urgent and not important, you know, that's sometimes stuff, just whatever, that's relaxing. But here's the picture, is that what we've got to spend more time as leaders is what's not urgent but important. And that's the things that, that I'm developing other leaders, I'm developing my own leadership style. I just, I recently had a conversation uh, with a, with someone who wants to be a better leader. And this person's really smart, just, just wicked smart to sound like a Bostonian. <laughs> um, so we're talking about making change and they had, um, this is like, so we're talking like smart level, like academically trained everything else. And I said, well, have you, have you worked through a change process? And the person says, well, what, what's that? And I said, well, uh, have you read Cotter or even looked at the Cotter steps for change management? I and mean, this is sort of very, very standard stuff that, that, uh, you know, basic leadership course would, would have. And, uh, and no, and I hadn't, I hadn't done that. Well, what I would say is for, and this is one of the reasons like we do, I, I do leadership training and I teach it here at the grad school and more. I mean, the basic Cotter model, which start with number one, create urgency. Why are you making change? Well, just cause I wanted to No, cause it's important. <laughs> and right. so, so just that idea. Now I got to tell you, I mean, I'm, it's, it's, it's eight steps about change that we kind of walk through, but can I just tell you, I don't have to be that smart to, and I'm not that smart to just say, you know, Cotter's eight steps change model will get, keep a lot of pastors at a lot of trouble. Now, you know, if you're listening to podcasts right now, you can Google that. I didn't make it up. I teach it. But to create 
to work change without creating a sense of urgency at the beginning and a church just means you're nuts. I mean, you got to ask, why, why do we want to make this change? Well, just because the pastor doesn't like it? No. I mean, because, well, why? Because we got to reach more people for Jesus? Well, how's that going to do that? And then you got, and it goes, you know, Connor talks about building God in coalition, form a strategic vision, enlist, volunteer, you know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, that, that's good. And let's kind of touch on all the strategic leadership a bit, because you have a course, an online course that you've developed that kind of puts all of these pieces together for ministry setting, the strategic leadership for ministry and mission. And I've been through it. It's absolutely phenomenal. Oh, cool. I didn't it's, know you went through it. That's awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. Good stuff. And so I want to I wanna talk a little bit about that course because you have – um, you know, things like leadership and management, developing communicating mission, you know, persuading people, changing organizational culture, all of all of those important pieces. But you have one session in there, and this kind of touches on what we were talking about, um, that's entitled Leading Yourself. Yeah. And in that particular session, one of the things that you contend is you, you're saying that so much of leadership is really self-leadership. Yep. And as leaders, we really need to invest half of our um, leadership energy, right? And self-leadership, the remaining half divided to leading down, leading up, and leading laterally. So there's a lot packed into that. And I know we, we don't have a couple hours to work through uh, the why whole not? session. Why not? Let's take a couple hours. I love it. <laughs> yeah. But, but why? Uh, to help us understand, why is this idea of self-leadership so very important? Yeah, that's a great question. It's a great point. Because most people sabotage themselves. Right. And it's regular. Now, sometimes they sabotage themselves just because they're not prepared. You know, this wonderful person I think is going to be a great leader that I was just talking about. Um, the, the leader just didn't know. So um, by helping the person to know, that that helps. So, But still, that's still self-sabotage. If you go out there and say, we're going to make a big change, and nobody has a sense of urgency to make the change, I mean, why, why, why bother? Well, just to make you happy? No. So sometimes it's that. But then sometimes there are some very common and continuous mistakes that people do make, and they have to do with mistakes that are often about how we lead. Um, you know, for example, uh, do we delegate well? Do we uh, do we follow up on that delegation? Do we do we get frustrated and make bad decisions in the midst of the frustration? So one of the things, I mean, you know, and by the way, Maxwell talks about this sometimes. You got to if we're having a leadership podcast, we got to mention Maxwell once. It's like a law. <laughs> But I mean, think about the law of the lid. You know, there's there's something, and that lid is a personal thing. And I forget how many lids he had. I think he added lids. I think I don't know. He's always John Maxwell's got a, a book every every year, and I buy it. So I'm like I'm like on the Maxwell plan. But the idea here is is there are things that if we don't lead ourselves well, that sabotage our own leadership efforts. So for example, if I'm perceived as doing things not for the benefit of the team, then that's a problem. Or um, or, for example, not exercising personal uh, discipline about what I engage in or what I don't engage in or things of that sort. So all those things ultimately lead up to a really confusing leader, a person that's difficult to follow as a leader. And I hear that people don't quite phrase that, but I, had, I literally had a conversation an hour ago where the whole hour conversation was, I, I want to do this, but I can't, this person is too difficult. Too, too difficult to follow. And they didn't quite say it that way, but it's just, it's just constant, the change and the difficulty, and et cetera, et cetera. So I think for us, and let me say pastors too. I mean, you can be a pastor for a uh, long time and really not have 
uh, any experience other than one year experience done over and over again. So I think leading well. So how do you do that? I think there are, are a few things. For example, I think you should engage in ongoing leadership training. That's why we made the, the course. But that would mean books, things of that sort. Um, now, again, a lot of pastors and church leaders, probably, I mean, probably not the audience listening to this, but in some places where I go and speak and serve, there's almost this, well, you know, I just, I don't need to leave the, read those things. I just need to, you know, study the commentary, look at it, you know, prepare my messages. But you don't because you're not sharpening the ax. So self-management is sharpening the ax so that you make better decisions in a better way as you move forward. And I think that's really, really uh, a key thing um, that, that people don't, don't often get. So I think that is right. Now, again, there are, there's more than just that. But remember, Ecclesiastes 10.10, if the ax is dull uh, and its edge is, un, is, is unsharpened, more strength is needed, but with skill will bring success. Well, what do we do? Take aside, sharpen the ax. And what that ultimately does is makes us more effective. Now, I will tell you, I wish somebody had told me those things three decades ago because I, I didn't do that. I didn't do that for the first probably 10 years of my ministry. And, and, and I thank God for the, the things we saw. But part of that was I was young. Part of that was, um, I was I was brash. I didn't think I needed those things. And I will tell you, I would have saved myself and probably a lot of people I led and served some heartache if I would have made better preparatory decisions that led myself better. Well, that, that's good. Now, one of the things that, that um, I love about this particular course is that a lot of the stuff in this course is stuff that maybe a lot of pastors haven't had as much exposure to, right? So in seminary, we get a lot of good things or in grad school or, or whatever preparatory schooling you're doing. You know, and, and understand how to get into the word and understand, you know, um, how to do some exegesis and, and presentation and communication, those types of things. But a lot of these kind of leadership principles are kind of what you were just saying. They're oftentimes we don't dig into them until we're, you know, a decade into our ministry and we yeah. have this aha moment like we've been beating this dull axe against a tree trunk <laughs> for 10 years. Right. <laughs> and um, and so that's what I kind of appreciate about this. It really pulls some things out and gets you thinking early on so you're not you know beating that that the lack said right yeah yeah and so here's the thing i would say too this is probably helpful i teach uh at a graduate school i i'm here at the wheaton college graduate school uh, i'm also a professor at trinity evangelical divinity school in southeastern uh, seminary in uh, wake forest north carolina so again i got four graduate degrees from seminary so i'm pro all those things i, right. I open the bible every week and i i rely upon what i learned at seminary and teaching and preaching but I, I once asked Danny Aiken, who's the president of Southeastern Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina, about this very issue. And he said to me something I've never forgotten. He said, Ed, um, I, said, I said, why don't seminaries teach a lot on leadership? We get out there and it's leadership or conflict management or change management. And he said to me, um, it was just, again, it was so simple and brilliant at the same time. He said, Ed, because that's not the kind of people that we attract as professors. I mean, so it's we're we're good at doing what God has called us to do. Prepare uh, preachers who will preach, prepare theologians who will know the Word of God, who, you know, and he listed all those things. And so what what and 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 of course, there they are, and at many other places, like here, we we actually have a master's degree in leadership. So, but I will tell you that that's a relatively new experience. Seminaries tend to be better 
And I could say, let me say, really good, because I mean, I was really blessed by those things. I've really been shaped by those things. Mm-hmm. But uh, leadership as, a, uh, as an art and a practice is something that, uh, you know, a Greek New Testament scholar probably has not had a lot of leadership experience in the same organizational leadership we're talking about here. And so when Danny shared that with me, like a, like a light went off. And that's one of the reasons that for me, I, I created a leadership course. I've written a lot on leadership. I, I write a lot on leadership of Christianity today because I just think we've got to see uh, a different approach. And so what it may be is you might go to seminary to get, uh, and there'll be some seminaries that have good leaders with good leadership. Don't misunderstand. And Danny, by the way, is a good leader. But you might go to seminary to get a robust theology and preaching and understand about pastoral care and counseling and whatever else it may be. But then you're probably on an ongoing basis going to engage outside courses or, you know, educating yourself, leading yourself to help you be a, uh, a better leader. And I would say this, too. I don't know what I would get rid of out of a lot of seminaries to teach leadership, but uh, because I think a lot of these things are so important. But what I would say is that um, I can really value those things and become a better and even a great leader. And that's what we try to help people is be really strong leaders. Right. Strong, not necessarily aggressive, because when people hear strong leader, <laughs> they think that it means I got to, you know, I'm, I'm a strong leader, you know, but I've some of the best leaders I know are not necessarily strong in a loud way, but strong in a, uh, in a godly, uh, we're going to lead, we're going to take these steps together collaboratively. That's the kind of leadership I mean by strong. No, that's good because I think that is uh, kind of an ongoing conversation in regard to, you know, preparing for ministry. Um, you know, how, how do we balance all those things and where do we get um, all those different tools that we need in our toolbox to really lead effectively? Um, one, one of the other sessions that I absolutely loved in your course, and I think it, it is so relevant, is leading through revitalization. Um, because it's, you know, no big secret that churches here in, in North America, a lot of them are in a place where they need some some revitalization. And there are a lot of pastors out there who recognize this, right? So as a pastor myself, I, I oftentimes, uh, my ministry assignments are going into a church that needed revitalization. And so so pastors understand this, and, and I think... I sense that many, and just in talking with pastors around the country, you know, they, they, they know this, they feel um, a sense of, I don't know if pressure's the right word, but a sense of expectation that, you know, they're the pastor and um, it's, it's time to, you know, revitalize the church. And yet there's kind of this struggle as to what steps do we take? How do we dig into this? What does that look like? And there's so many different um, things out there that are kind of, you know, popping around all the time. But I, I loved your session on just leading through revitalization and the way that you approached it um, because it really speaks to like some of the very, very core things that pastors are facing today in churches here in North America. Yeah, I do think, uh, you know, I actually wrote a book on church revitalization called Comeback Churches, and I always wanted to come back and revisit the research there. Mike Dodson and I wrote it together. He studied 324 churches, and uh, the, you know— <laughs> There were so many factors, but we almost didn't want leadership to be such a primary factor, but it was. I mean, everything, if you led to a greater sense of engagement and a greater sense of gospel work, somebody led to get to that place. If you saw transition in organizational structure, somebody led there. If you saw a greater evangelism emphasis, somebody led there. So I really think that that's one of the great challenges. And for me, one of the things I found is, if we, you know, back to Cotter, 
that creating a sense of urgency that a lot of churches, a lot of pastors that try to re- lead churches through revitalization, their first play is change, not urgency. And so they haven't led the people to care about the situation or to be burdened about the situation if they're willing to make a change. And people never change until the pain of staying the same grows greater than the pain of change. And they haven't led people well. Uh, and so then, and then they get mad, like, well, why didn't you go along with what I was saying? Well, partly because you just didn't make the case. Um, and, and then they're like, well, you just don't want to go with the Lord. Well, no, disagreeing with you isn't the same as disagreeing with God. <laughs> um, and so, so I think ultimately you really have to. There has to be a journey to lead people through revitalization that sometimes takes a little more. I think that's why people are attracted to church planning more. And I, you know, I love church planning. I've planned several. Uh, but I think for a lot of people, they're attracted to church planning so they don't have to walk through that process. Well, you know what you're saying is you don't want to lead change. You just want to lead new. Well, can I just tell you, if you plant a church, three years from now, you're going to be leading change. So <laughs> right, you're eventually right. going to have to do that because eventually it's going to be an established church. And then the process starts all over again. Yeah. Now, these now from your book, Come Back Churches, and then, of course, uh, in this particular session on revitalization, uh, you talk about some realities that we as pastors, you know, really just need to understand. And, and the very first one, uh, you know, you, you put out there is, guess what? You are going to meet resistance. Yeah. Um, can you talk us through, you know, pastors who might be listening right now who are, you know, they're, they're in this church, they're faithfully serving week in, week out. They're looking to um, really honor God, really help this church, you know, reach those who are far from God. And they're bumping into this resistance. Can you just kind of talk us through a little bit, you know, what advice would you give a pastor who's facing resistance when he really feels he's doing the, the mission of the church? Yeah, so— and I would say, I mean, I guess this is probably too late to say that, but if you're a pastor, you're a leader, you're a church staff member, I want to say to them that maybe, and again, I guess too late, let me just say, let me say this, who are not, maybe you're considering it, let's put it that way. Um, if you're choosing to go into ministry because you think it'll be a conflict-free existence, you have chosen poorly. <laughs> um, and if you, if you want everyone to like you, go sell ice cream. Um, if I mean, everyone likes the ice cream person. But, right. But men and women who step into leadership, who become uh, leaders of churches or organizations, wherever it may be, they are stepping into a situation where people are going to be led through change. And as they are led, and with them, not just by your, but they're going to walk through this change. And as they walk through this change, you're going to find resistance. And I, I often say people, if you don't have 10% of your church mad at you at any given time, you're probably not doing anything of <laughs> substance. If you have uh, 70% of your church mad at you, you might want to slow it down a little bit. Uh, um, so I, I think that's just part of life. And I will tell you that I early on was very concerned that nobody would be upset with me. And uh, and now I just call people being upset with me Thursday. Now, <laughs> um, what I don't want is unnecessarily, I want to care about people's concerns. I want to I want to honor people of all different ages and backgrounds, but the reality is leadership is uh, at times a disruptive reality, and as a disruptive reality, it's hard and people will resist it. Now, I would say one of the things we deal with in the course is overcoming some of that, um, uh, and and we walk through some different ways and approaches to do that, Uh, but again, that takes time, and I wish, you know, I heard a pastor say to me once, you know, pastor would be great if it weren't for the people, Um, and I was like, you know, I think you're doing it wrong, Um, (laughs) you know, pastor and is about the people, what you uh, teach them uh, from the word, and also how you lead them. And I think ultimately, sometimes, sometimes, the reason people maybe, maybe some pastors just rush, I just want to preach or preach or preach, 
is that maybe they haven't thought about that. Yeah, I want you to preach too, but you got to walk a journey with people and lead them. You know, First Timothy three talks about this role, this role of an overseer is a is a noble thing to desire. Well, you actually have to lead to to step into that noble work. Okay, Ed, let's dig a little more deeply into that. So you're you're leading a church um, through some change, some much needed change as you're seeking to to live out. On the mission of Christ, right? And you're you're meeting some of this resistance. How do you love your people through that, especially those who who are pushing back so hard and and it can be painful, you know, personally painful. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about from your experience, you know, how do you how do you balance and work through that um, heart for your people as you're facing some of this resistance? Yeah, yeah. I want to think first. You guys say stop. Stop seeing resistance as people who are enemies. Um, the reality is, is that uh, sometimes they just have a different view or different approach. Uh, one of the things I want to do, a great phrase is, I want to win people over. I want people to see that what we're doing is worth a value of their time and their commitment and more. And I also want to recognize that, you know, not every, I think Larry Osborne had a great thing once. He said, you know, he said, some pastors just think everyone's got to get on board. It's okay for some people to ride along for a while. Uh, see what it's like, see what it means, see how it plays out. So I think that by walking wisely through, through helping people to change and helping think through, through things and also letting people not always come along on the plan, but, you know, but to make wise decisions and how they relate to others in their, in their disagreement. I think when you, when you do those things, you honor people for who they are. They're followers of Jesus too. Um, they're there. And of course I would say that too, people aren't followers of Jesus, but in this case, they're followers of Jesus too. Uh, they're worthy of hearing their objection. They're worthy of maybe at times they're right and some change is necessary. But also, too, good leaders will think through, how do I bring people along well so that we can make this journey together? And I think when you think multiple ways like that, I think you're in a much better place. Excellent. Well, brother, I certainly appreciate um, your insights from from your many years and many different contexts of ministry when it comes to leadership and this tool that you've prepared and helped make available to um, pastors and ministry leaders. Um, Ed, can you just tell us what's the best way for them to find this course, Strategic Leadership for Ministry and Mission? Where would they go to check that out? If they just go to edstetzer.com, it's S-T-E-T-Z-E-R or Z for our Canadian, Australian, and other friends. Uh, com, and then there's right there it's got our resources and click on it and there's several courses that we have right there awesome brother well thank you for making the time to uh, spend with us here on the church leaders podcast i'm looking forward to the next time we get together sounds great looking forward to it thanks I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast, and if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance, and if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com, or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the FaithPlay app. It's available for both Apple and Android, and so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well, and lead well.
You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.